We are in a sermon series called God First. As a matter of fact, I want you to say it with me about three times. You ready? Everybody ready? God first, God first, God first. Now, you know why we're talking about that? Because it's hard. It's hard to make him first. As a matter of fact, I was reading the Bible this week. Imagine that, your pastor reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible this week, and I just recognize over and over and over from the first part of the Bible, Genesis, all the way to the end, Revelation. He keeps reminding us in various forms, in various words, in various ways, the same message. Don't forget to make me first. Don't forget to make me first. Now, why is he so obsessed with us making him first? You know why? Because it's good for us. It's good for us. I think sometimes, you know, when we read about God saying, look, I need to be first in your life, make me first in your life, and, and I want to be Lord, and I want you to serve me with a whole heart, and we think God's kind of got an ego problem, you know? He just needs a lot of attention. No, no, no. When we give him our full attention, when we make him first in our life, we're the one that gets blessed. We're the one that gets protected. We're the one that gets covered. We're the one that lives a, the abundant life because we made him first. You know, when I thought about uh, the struggle we have, I mean, the reason, you know, all through the Bible, over and over and over, he says, me first, me first, me first, don't forget to put me first, is because he knew we'd have a hard time with that. He knew we would struggle with that. You would think there would be a place you would eventually come to in your walk with God where you don't struggle with that anymore. I mean, you just put him first. He just stays first. But i got to tell you something. I drift away from that. I mean, there are times in my life when I'm on point, boy, and i got him number one in my life. But then there are times the troubles of life come along, distractions come along, and I let it slip. And when it slips, all my priorities get out of place. But when I recognize that and the Holy Spirit comes and brings correction in my life and I recognize, hey, man, I'm not, I've not been putting God first in my life and I get that taken care of, the moment he becomes priority in my life, all my other stuff just lines up right where it's supposed to be. It's amazing. So God tells us, you know, Pastor Farrell, been a Christian since he was a kid, pastoring a church, you know, he's an old guy now, and he's been pastoring a church a long time, and looks like he would have that God first thing down pat, but ladies and gentlemen, get this, we drift, we drift away from it. Um, there's an old hymn, and we still sing it in this church, and the words go like this, prone to wonder, because we like what? You, like sheep, have done what? Gone astray. We're like sheep. We're like sheep. Now, when you think about us being like sheep, I know you're like, oh, God called me a little sheep. Well, first of all, sheep are dumb. Anybody ever seen a sheep trick? <laughs> they're dumb. They're defenseless. They have no sense of direction. They stink. Forgot about that. I'm sure we stink to God sometimes. And they are totally dependent on the shepherd. So we like sheep, and what are sheep like? We like sheep have what? Gone. They, and then he called us sheep. 
It's a battle. Listen, listen, listen. Can I just be transparent with you today? It is a battle for me. It is a battle for all of us to make sure we make. It's a battle. It's a battle every day. Every day of your life. I'd even go so far as to say there might be times in the day when he's first and then there's times in the day when he's not first. Like he's first right now, y'all in church, you loving on God, you clapping, and then y'all go out there and get in traffic and you tell somebody the number one. <laughs> so I mean God was first and then all of a sudden he wasn't first. Just don't do it to anybody that's got a bridge sticker on the back of their car. And if you've got a bridge sticker, don't do it to anybody. That's why I ain't got a bridge sticker on my car. All right. So, wait, Tommy. Did I say that out loud? All right. I know how y'all are. So I'm, I'm looking at the Bible, and I'm going, man, God starts off saying, don't forget to make me first, don't forget to make me first. And then I get to Exodus, and he goes, don't forget to make me first, don't forget to make me first. And I go right on through the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, don't, make, don't forget to make me first. And then I get to the New Testament. It's right there over and over and over again. And so I'm like, you know what? When I read that, I went, you know why God did that? Because he knew we would have a hard time with it. He knew it would always be a struggle no matter where you are in your walk with God. There is something in you called the flesh or the sin nature or the human nature. And it is an enemy of God. It is the enemy of God. So you've got this battle going on in you all the time. And you want the Spirit to dominate. You want the Spirit to rule. You want God to rule in your life. But we have moments when that doesn't happen. And what we have to do is be so close to God that when that does happen, the Holy Spirit blows the whistle and lets us know, hey, you just stepped out of bounds. Get us back in bounds where God is first. So, you know, Adam and Eve, did they have a problem keeping God first? I mean, right off the bat. Right off the bat, she chose to, to eat from the tree. She said, I can make God first, do what he said, or I can satisfy myself. And she satisfied herself. And it's why we're in the trouble we're in today. We need a Savior. But good news is God, cre God gave us one. He, he sent his only son to die on a cross to redeem us and save us because we struggled making him number one. And then I go, I'll go from Genesis over to Exodus, and I'm not going to go through every book of the Bible. I know that's making you nervous. I'm not going to mention every book of the Bible, but I looked at Exodus chapter 20, and I looked at the Ten Commandments. And I realized that the first two commandments are God saying, I'm number one. Because the first commandment is, you shall have no other what? Where? Before me. I'm number one. That was the number one commandment. Then the next commandment was like it. The next commandment is you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, I love this, I am a jealous God. And you might be out there going, whoa, I heard a whole sermon one time on the sin of jealousy, being jealous and God's jealous. Yeah, when God does it, it's not wrong. And he loves you. you. You are, listen, he wants you to be his bride. The Bible says that. He wants you to be his bride. 
He loves you. I'm not going to tolerate my bride flirting around on me. Are you? No. God isn't either. You know, you can't hold God's hand. A little drama here for you. You can't hold God's hand and play footsie with the world. That's footsie right there. You can't do that. God wants your full commitment. How many of you want full commitment from your spouse? You want full commitment? Or is it okay if they just run around once in a while? Mm, so am I going to get hurt up in here? So he says, no other gods, no other gods, no graven images, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And then he says, and I love this word, and if you ever want to do a Bible study on a word in the Bible, I would encourage you to do a Bible study on the word wholehearted or wholeheartedly. I mean, it means God wants all of you. He wants your whole heart. Matthew chapter 6, he says this, no one can serve two masters. In John 3, he says, he, God, must increase, but I must. I love Matthew 6, so we're going to go back there again. Matthew 6 is a great, if you're struggling with materialism, if you're struggling with putting materialism ahead of uh, God in your life, Matthew 6 is just great for that because he looks at the people and he says, stop worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. He said, if you will make me first, I'll just give you all that. Seek ye first of the kingdom of God, and I will add all these things to you. Make me first. Make me first. You know, we worry. I worry. You know, worry is the opposite of faith, but I worry, and you worry. We all worry. I'm not going to stand up here and say I don't ever worry about stuff. I do. I mean, look at the staff I got. You have got to worry. <laughs> no, they're awesome. But I do worry. You know, I've got a son, and he just got married last Sunday. Glory to God. And, um, you know, and, and so I'm concerned about him. And, you know, even, even if they're doing well, you just, you know, you, well, how are they today? And you, if you're not worried, if you're not uh, careful, worry creeps in. You know, worry is when you... Uh, get concerned about something that could happen tomorrow. So you reach into tomorrow and get tomorrow's troubles and pull them back into today when they might not ever even happen. But that's what people do. That's what worry is when you reach into tomorrow and you get tomorrow's troubles and bring them back into today. The Bible says that your physical makeup, your frame, is for you to just deal with so much that's happening today. And when we reach into tomorrow and pull that stuff into today, then our frame can't take it. And that's why there's physical breakdown when we don't trust God. So, so he says, here, I'm going to take care of you. And then, you know, we worry about that. I, I, I heard this uh, statistic not long ago, and it was, uh, it was just awesome. You know, we worry that God can't take care of us. And in that scripture in Matthew 6, it tells us he feeds the birds. You say, big deal, feeding a bird. It's not a big deal. Did you know that Bill Gates probably the richest or second richest man in the world. I'm not sure he's up there at the top. $60 billion, billion with a B. He don't have enough money. If Bill Gates took all his money today, he don't have enough money to feed all the birds of the earth one day. $60 billion of bird seed wouldn't feed all the birds one day. He don't have enough. 
God feeds them every day. And God says, if I can feed the birds every day, he said, do you know how much more I love you than I love the birds? I'm going to take care of you. Matthew chapter 6. So put me first. In Colossians, we see Paul. He's talking to the church at Colossae. They're battling with their faith. They're battling with their trust in God. He says, don't set your mind on things of the earth, but set your mind on things that are above. Above. Stop, stop focusing on this. Matthew 22, I love this, and Jesus said it, and I'm not even giving you the verses here because I want you to look them up. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then we back up again to the Old Testament, and I want you to look at this warning here. And the reason, again, that all these scriptures are here is because God knows we struggle with making him first. He knows we struggle. So all through the scripture, from the first of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, he's reminding us it is best for you. It is best for you. It is best for you. It's not because God's on an ego trip. It is best for you. It is best for you if you make me first in your life. The reason God wants us to make him first in our life is because it's best for us. He's like, there's things I can't do for you that I want to do for you until you make me first, preeminent, not prominent in my life. So look what it says in Proverbs 3. It says, or just listen, you, you can't look at it, but just listen. Do not allow your steadfast love for God and your faithfulness to God to forsake you. Man, he's talking about that drift. We talk about the drift all the time here at the bridge because we know that the current of this world, we got two currents against us. The current of this world system we live in is not going toward God, is it? The current of this world is not going toward righteousness and purity and holiness. The current of this world is going towards selfishness and corruption. But that isn't the only current you fight. You fight a current that's in you. We mentioned it earlier, that, that sin nature, that flesh in you. I feel it every day. You feel it every day. Paul called it the old man. The old man is still there. We may have crippled him when we gave our life to God, but we didn't kill him. He's still there. And we still were. We still war with him. So you're going to have that until the day you get to heaven. And a lot of you, if I can just throw this in there, a lot of you battle with the very fact that you're tempted. And I want to just tell you that temptation is not a sin. The, the desires of your flesh and the things that you are tempted to do, that in and of itself is not a sin. You've not violated God's purpose and God's will and God's law and, and what God wants for you when you're tempted. Because who was tempted? Jesus, yet what? Without sin. And a lot of you, maybe you're fighting a battle of temptation and you're letting the enemy get in there and condemn you about what you're tempted about. Well, you haven't violated. So when that temptation comes, just bring it to God. Just bring it right straight to God. When you feel that pull, when you feel that current, when you feel that magnet, you get right on your knees. You get right before God and say, God, I'm, I'm battling today. I'm battling. 
And God, God is never going to look down at you in the middle of a battle with your flesh and go, really? You're still battling with that? Are you kidding me? No. He's going to be thankful that you called on him a parent. Think about your own children. If they're struggling with something, you want them to come to you. You want them to say, Mommy, help me. Daddy, help me. I haven't done anything I shouldn't do. But, but you know, I, I, I'm in a struggle here. You want them to come to you. God wants you to come to him. I could give hundreds of verses in the Bible about this. But look, look again at this Proverbs 3. Don't let your steadfast love for God, don't let your faithfulness to God forsake you. And I love this language. He says, bind it around your neck. I'd love to do a study of that. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And here's what he says will happen if you put God first. Here's what, here's what Solomon says will happen. He says, you will find favor. Anybody need some favor up in here? Some favor, and then look what he says. You will find favor, and you will find good success. And he says, not only will it be favor and good success in the eyes of man, but more importantly, it will be good favor and good success in the sight of God. That's what will happen when you put God first. And then he says, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. And do not lean to your own understanding. How many of y'all have leaned on your own understanding? It gets you in trouble every time, doesn't it? it? Gets me in trouble every time. You know, we're like Moses. So, so the children of Israel are thirsty, and God says, strike the rock. He strikes the rock, water flows out, everybody gets a good drink of water. Later on in the history of Israel, and they're in the wilderness, they come to a rock, and they're thirsty again, and Moses doesn't come to God. He doesn't get the mind of God. He doesn't fast. He doesn't pray. He doesn't uh, seek what God's will is. I mean, God actually reveals his will and says, I want you to speak to the rock. But Moses strikes the rock again, and it's a sin. It's against God, so he doesn't get to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And here's what Moses' thinking was. I've done this before. I know how this works. That's when you started leaning on your own understanding right there. See, when you come to a crisis in your life, God may have a fresh word for you, a new way of dealing with that thing. You can't always go back to experience and say, this is how I did it before. This is how it has to be done this time. I don't really need to pray this time. I really don't need to seek the mind of God this time. I don't really need to seek God's will this time. Yes, you do. Every day. We never know how God is going to lead us. We never know how he wants us to deal with the situation. Don't lean to your own understanding. Let me, let me just, I just feel kind of prompted by the Holy Spirit right here. Are you about to make a big decision? Are you about to make a big decision? Have you prayed? I mean, not like the preacher who was at a little tiny church and this great big church called him and said, we want you to come. We're going to quadruple your salary. There's uh, way more people. We've got a way nicer parsonage for you to live in. And the pastor went home and told his wife, he said, now listen, I'm going to pray about this and you pack while I'm praying. <laughs> How many of you know his mind was already made up? Some of us are like that. We already decide I don't usually do this, but I just really sense right here the Holy Spirit is just kind of quickening my heart to say to somebody here who's making a big decision, I'm not saying what the answer to that is or which way you should go, but I'm telling you, you haven't prayed enough about it. 
You haven't prayed enough about this. Get on your face before God. Don't lean on your own understanding. You'll get yourself in a mess. I just really believe that's a word from the Lord to somebody here today. So God knew we would struggle. So he reminds us over and over again, God first, me first. One of the primary ways we reveal or one of the primary ways we demonstrate that God is first in our life is in our giving and our generosity. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Jesus said, what you do with your money shows what's in your heart. What you do with your money shows what's in your heart. And one of the best ways to know that you've surrendered your heart completely to God is that you become a, not just a giver, but a what kind of giver? Cheerful. <laughs> Joyful giver. So I'm going to kind of testify today and tell you how God brought me from a, joy, from a not so joyful giver to the being a joyful giver. So I, I just kind of wrote down, what were the stages in my life as a giver, as a child of God, as a Christian, what were the stages in my life of generosity? Number one was not a giver. I loved God, but I was not a giver. I was young, and I thought the people who have jobs do that. The adults do that. See, that's why it's so important for us to teach our children right now. Uh, you know, have them do chores, give them an allowance, and teach them to give out of that allowance and get that into them while they're young. I don't know whether y'all want him to or not, but Pastor Andrew's teaching your kids that. Because, see, we want our kids to have God's hand on their life. And we know, if we understand the scripture, we know that God's hand is not going to be on your life in the way that he wants to be uh, influential and powerful in your life if we don't have this part of our life down. And so I was not a giver, not a giver at all, didn't think it was my job, didn't think it was my responsibility, and I just got to be real honest, I didn't get much teaching on giving. You know, when I was growing up, here's how the church taught on giving, all right, we're going to take up the offering now if y'all want the lights on next time you come. How many, how many have been under that system? I'll tell you what, uh, you know, we're going to pave the parking lot. And I know most of you don't give, but we'd really like for y'all to give so we can get the parking. It was always a, kind of a need, some desperate need, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it wasn't just that, but it was... Um, uh, I'm going to tell you what, you know, bad, you're bad and, and uh, you're stingy. And it was just not the right spirit. It was just not the right kind of teaching. There's so much better teaching in the Word of God than approaching it that way. And so that's one of the things we want to do. And, and when you get to the uh, I was broken, now I'm not idea, we understand here at the bridge that if we want you to give, then you've got to be free in your own life. If you want to give, you've got to get yourself in a financial position so you can obey God. Because we've all done it, haven't we? Gotten ourselves in that financial place. So I was not a giver. And then as I grew and understood more about the Bible and how important it was for me not to just say, thank God for people who give. I'm not going to give, but thank God for people who do. Then I became a giver, but I was a stingy giver. Stingy giver. And here's what I'd do on that. I'd go, man, uh, I'm going to give five this week. Give five dollars. You know, and I was like, yay me. Five bucks. But I was tight. I was stingy. I, 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 it, wasn't that I, it wasn't that I didn't think God would take care of me. I didn't even think about God taking care of me. I just thought, man, five dollars. 
I mean, that sermon I just heard ain't worth more than $5. I can guarantee you that. You know? So stingy giver. And then number three, I knew I needed to give, and I knew I needed to give because I love God. So I began to understand that. But I was still a fearful giver. So I went from not a giver to stingy giver to fearful giver or reluctant giver because I just felt like I can't part with this because if I part with this, I can't pay my light bill. I can't pay my little car payment. I drove a, I drove a 1968 six-cylinder, three-speed Mustang with a rust hole right beside the front headlight on the right. And all these Mustangs had mufflers that sounded awesome. But you don't put a muffler on a six-cylinder. It sounds like a school bus. Anyway, had a little car payment, had a little car payment, you know. And I was like, I can't give any more than that because I got to make my car payment. And so I was fearful, fearful giver. And then I became a discipline giver. And I said, I know what I'm supposed to give. I know what the Bible teaches I'm supposed to give, so I'm going to be disciplined. So I took a little piece of leather with me to church, and when it came time to take up the offering, I would just bite down on a piece of leather. And I'd go, when that plate comes by, in the name of Jesus. There was no joy in it, but I was obedient. <laughs> and then as I grew and as I understood the Word of God more, and i got to tell you, when I grew in my intimacy with God, I became a joyful giver. And next week, we're going to receive the offering fit for a king. And we're asking everybody to tithe that day, give 10% of your income. We're asking those of you who already give 10% to give a special offering. And we're going to break a record next weekend, the biggest offering ever received in this church. Now, that's great, and we appreciate it. And I told you, I was really honest with you a few weeks ago, and I told you all that we're 15% behind uh, what we gave last year. And we gave you some reasons for that. You know, I think fear, bad economy, everything's just so so messed up around the world. The economy's so messed up around the world. Everybody's really fearful. And then we've had some really committed families that were in the military. They've moved away and gone to other uh, uh, places in the country and in the world. And and so, you know, we understand, but but we actually have more people than we had a year ago, but we got less income. Because here's why. When people first start coming to a church, they're like, okay, I like this, like that, I like the music, I'm going to serve, and but I'm not ready to invest yet. So we kind of have to wait for that to happen in people. So what we want to see happen next week is we just challenge you to go ahead and step out because here's what we think will happen. And I know when I say it like that, it makes it sound like it's all for the church and we're going to get this money. And we are. We're, we're thankful. We're going to be able to help more people. We're going to be able to improve our campuses. We're going to be able to improve our environments. And we thank you for the offering. But I'm telling you, here's what our prayer is, that it will kickstart in you. That it will kickstart in you a determination to say, you know what, part of my walk with God is my giving back to him in faith, in faith. And that's what we're trusting 
God to do. And give it with a joyful heart. Millie and I, I have decided what we're going to give. And we're going to give, you know, we got a Thursday night service. Two services here. Uh, Thursday night, you know, we're two campuses we got a Goldsboro campus. Matter of fact, they're having church right now. And the sermon I preached Thursday night was videoed, and they're watching that video of that sermon over there. And can I just tell you, and don't clap because you're very clapped about this, but we're over 400 people at that other campus. That's just unreal. And then God's blessing us here. But, but what we want to see happen is, is for you to be moved spiritually where you understand this isn't just good for the church, but it means I have truly put God first because Jesus said where I put my money, that's where my heart is. And when God sees my money going there with a joyful heart, I'm going to get blessed. Now, I want to make something real clear. If you don't give it with a joyful heart, we will still take it. <laughs> but we want you to be blessed. We want you to be blessed. So next week, come with a joyful heart. Let me just challenge you dads. Rise up and to be the spiritual leader in your house. Call your family together and say, look, pastor and our leadership and our church and we're committed to the bridge and we're going to give and here's what daddy's going to do because you'll be teaching your children and you'll say, are y'all excited about this? Are y'all excited? And yes, daddy, we're excited. And so, so Sunday... You know, you guys are going to do your little thing over in kids' church. We're going to walk up there. or Maybe you'll have your kids in here. It doesn't matter whatever you want to do there. You walk up. We're going to go as a family, me and mom, are, and we're going to put our offering in there. And you're teaching your kids. Let me tell you what you're doing as a parent when you teach your kids about that. You are releasing a blessing into their life. That, that maybe in your life you didn't get that teaching, so you lived under a belief system that really kept God from doing all the things he wanted to do in your life. And you're like, you know what? I don't want my kids under that. I'm going to teach them about this so that they will understand that this is a part of our love expressed to God and our worship expressed to God. And when we are joyful, God is going to bless us. And God is going to meet needs in our life. And it's going to really, it's going to really, the obedience is going to release God to do things in our life that otherwise he would not do. So let me just give you real quick my journey. Here's what happened to me. Here's what happened to me. To get from not a giver to a um, joyful giver. And this is just me, but I think it's really true about a lot of people. And I'm going to show you in the scripture as we close this message. God had to break some things in me. God had to break some things in me. And I just wrote three things down, and I'm not going to preach on those three things. I'm just going to give them to you just like that. Number one, he broke fear. I had to be broken in the area of fear. I, I just, I knew God loved me, and I knew what his promises said, but I just, I just couldn't believe that based on my income, I, I would give that, and then I would still be okay at the end of the month. So I lived in fear. So God had to break that in me. And then doubt. And when I say doubt, you say, well, aren't they aligned? Yes, they are aligned. But here's what I was doubting. It wasn't just fear that I wouldn't have enough at the end of the month. I doubted God's word. Now, if you'd have asked me if I doubted God's word, I'd have said, no, I don't doubt God's word. I believe God's word. But the fact is, I really doubted God's word because God said, if you will seek me first, Pharaoh, I'm going to take care of you 
Well, there's no way you can hear that from the mouth of God and then go, yeah, but I just can't do it without admitting that you're doubting God. So he had to break that doubt in me. And then the final thing he had to break in me, and really this thing that I'm about to mention is the foundation of every sin, and it's pride. Because you know why I didn't want to give that money to God? I wanted to buy some stuff for me with that money. I wanted it. I wanted to do what I wanted to do with it. And here's why you say, well, I owe money. And I go, you know what? And then we still go and take that money that we say, I can't give to God because I owe money. And we don't even pay that on what we owe. We go buy something else with it. Amen, amen. So God had to break that. I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm telling you about my struggle. I'm telling you about my personal struggle to get to a joyful giver. So then I began to look in the Bible and I saw some breaking. I saw some illustrations of breaking. And, and these are scriptures that you've heard before and they're little stories in the Bible you've heard before. But I just want to give you three little stories in the Bible very quickly. And the first one is, and I believe Pastor Jared talked about this last week. And by the way, did Pastor Jared bring some word up in here last week? Amen. So... I look at this story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they're in the house of Simon the leper. And we're in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And it says, while he, Jesus, was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. And I love that this is in the Bible. I love it. They're at the table. So what are they doing? Eating and what? Glory to God. Laying down, eating. I love Jesus. Don't y'all love Jesus? <laughs> While he was in Bethany, so I'm going home today, stretch out on my big chair, put a towel on, and go, bring it, baby, bring it. <laughs> While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper and reclining at the table. Now, let's just stop right there. You know the story about Mary bringing the alabaster box. But you know, if you'll permit my imagination right here, Mary was always at the feet of Jesus. I mean, she just stayed at the feet of Jesus. So Martha's in the kitchen. She's cooking. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. I can see her there with her chin in her hands, looking at Jesus. He's talking. And, and, and would you not have loved to have been there? I mean, the words he said aren't even recorded. And Jesus is sitting there at that table when Jesus is talking, and she's drinking it in. And she's thinking about how much she loves him. And she's thinking about what he means to her. And she's thinking about not too long ago, my son, not my son, my brother, Lazarus was dead. And he was in a tomb. And we called on Jesus and he showed up later. At least we thought he was late, but then he rolled the stone away. And he called Lazarus out, my brother, and he raised him from the dead. And she's just sitting there and she's got her chin on her hands and Jesus is talking. And you know what I believe? I believe something breaks in her. I believe something just kind of breaks in her and she jumps up. I mean, you know, the people might have said, where is she going? I mean, Jesus is teaching here. Where is she going? And she comes back with this alabaster box of ointment, spikenard, very precious. Later on in the scripture, it says it was worth 300 pence. And back in that day, a person made about 100 pence or made about a pence a day. So that, that perfume 
was worth almost a year's wages. And she didn't come pop the top off and tell Jesus to be careful. She was going to give him a little bit, you know, Chanel number 41. She said she broke it because she wanted to give how much? She broke it. Because, see, she, even though Judah spoke up and said, why was the waste of the ointment made? Here's, why, here's the way Mary looked at it. Mary did not consider the ointment and the value of the ointment. She considered the value of the one on whom she was pouring it. And the value of the ointment was nothing compared to Jesus' value in her life. See, that's where you got to get to. That's where you got to get to, where he is so precious to you and so valuable to you and what he means to you and how much you love him that your giving flows out of that. And she poured it all over him and let her hair down and used her hair like a towel and it was just this beautiful act of worship and, and, and the aroma I can just sense as it just fills the air. Just an act of love, a breaking, I believe a, a breaking that came because of her, his words and because of the love and appreciation. That's what the word of God does. That was Jesus talking, so it was the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is like a hammer. The word of God is like a hammer and it breaks. And Jesus' words broke something in her. And she understood that this was an expression of her love. This was the most valuable thing she owned. Isn't it amazing that she jumped up? She could have went and got a lot of different things, but she went and got the most valuable thing she owned and said, I want Jesus to have it all. Now listen. That's what I want for you. I want you to not give to this church because we've got a mortgage. I don't want you to give to this church because we've got to pay a light bill. I don't want you to give to this church because, well, I like that program, so I'm going to give some money to that program. You know, we appreciate that, and you can give to different programs, or you can call me up on the phone and go, hey, when y'all got a real special need, let me know. You can give like that if you want to, and I want to assure you we'll take that money too. But here's what I want to say to you. When you give just because you love Jesus. When you give because you have come to the realization of how precious, how loving, how caring, how providing he has been in your life. When you give because you recognize he is king of kings and Lord of lords and is worthy of our worship. When your giving starts coming that way, when you give it as an act of worship, you're going to see a breakthrough in your life. And then we go from Mark 14, we back up one chapter, one book, to Matthew 14. And we read there the story of a boy who had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus is teaching again. He's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching. I believe that boy was in that audience. And I'm telling you, I think he was a young royal ranger. I do. I think he was like a royal ranger, one of our royal rangers. Listen to me. Let me tell you something. God can speak to little boys and little girls. 
And that's why we put so much money into our children's ministry. And that's why we believe so much into the, in, uh, uh, in our children and investing in our children and creating environments and training leaders to get the Word of God in them because I believe God speaks to little boys and little girls. And they're trying to feed these people, 5,000 men plus women and children, probably more like 15,000 people there that day, and the disciples get their calculators out, and it can't be done. And here comes a little boy running toward Jesus with his little cloth bag, and inside he's got five little pieces of bread and a couple of sardines in there to flavor up that bread. Yuck. See, we try to help, you know, I believe it was five loaves of bread like sunbeam. And I believe that boy had two eight-pound bass in there. Like that's going to make a difference with 25,000. All it was was five little pieces of, five little crackers and a couple little sardines. It was his lunch. And I can just see that boy run up and go, Jesus, Jesus, I want you to have this. And the disciples probably were like, boy, that's barely going to feed you. And Jesus sees it and says, give me that. Give me that. Took the boy's lunch. (laughs) Give me, give me that lunch. Give me that bad, terrible lunch. Give me that. And the Bible says he took it in his hands. And he blessed it. And then he broke it. And they distributed it and fed all the people. And the Bible says when they fed them, they were all satisfied because of the generosity of one little boy. Their needs were met. They were satisfied Because something broke in that little boy during the teaching of Jesus Christ. During the declaration of the word of God, something broke inside that little boy. And when he said, we don't have food to feed the people, he ran. Little Royal Ranger, outpost 6046. Jesus blessed it. I'd love to have been there that night when he got home with those 12 baskets that were left over. And his mama said, what happened? And he told her, and she said, don't you lie to me, boy. So I'm just telling you, mama, that's how it happened. Reminds me of a youth camp one year. This boy had been mean all week long. Y'all ever been a counselor at youth camp? And people send their little demon-possessed children to youth camp. <laughs> they just need a break, man, I'm telling you. And so this little kid had been like a holy terror the whole week long. And we had prayed for him to get saved. And he had come from this really, really rough family. And we just prayed, God, save him or take him home. (laughs) We were talking about heaven, actually. And on the last night of youth camp, he come running up crying to his counselor. I mean, he had put his counselor through holy Hades. And he came up to his counselor and he's like, I got saved tonight, I got saved. And this was his counselor's reaction. Don't you lie to me, boy. (laughs) And I bet that mama looked at that little boy with that 12 basketfuls of food left over because that's how Jesus is. He will take your little bit and send you home with so much more. She probably thought, boy, that's a big story right there. 
but since you brought home so much food, I'm going to let it go. And then I love the book of Judges, chapter 7. It talks about Gideon and how Gideon's army had three things to go into battle with. There's so much I can say about this story, but my time's gone. They had a trumpet. They had a torch. They lit the torch, and then they took a pitcher, like a tea pitcher, but it was pottery, and they turned it upside down over the torch. And they said, surround the enemy. Blow the trumpet, break the pitcher, let the light out, and then shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. There had to be a breaking for the light to come out. Can you imagine, can you imagine the impact this church would have on this community if everybody who comes to the bridge became a generous giver and we were able to take that money and take that investment that God says, if you'll give it to me, I'll bless you back way more and do what needs to be done here and in the mission field and another place. We'd never have to sell another taco. We'd never have to sell another donut. We'd never have to have another fundraiser if the people of the bridge, can I preach straight up? If the people of the bridge would do what the Bible says, we'd never have to, God never intended for a church to have to do a fundraiser to take care of ministry or the bills. That's about a third of you, thank you. But there has to be a breaking in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, look what it says. Go to, go to the next one, guys. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Next slide. But we have this treasure, this light, of God in earthen vessels, just like Gideon. That light was in an earthen vessel and it had to be broken for the light to shine. And here we see Paul, many hundreds, thousands of years later, here's Paul talking about the very same thing. Because when, when we are broken, I, these bodies are earthen vessels. I don't know about y'all, but when I leave, I'm leaving this body here. I'm not taking it with me. Praise God in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So what I, what I hear, and there's so much here, there's so much here, but what I hear is God saying, when you are broken, the light of God comes out. And when you are broken, one of the traits of a broken person is generosity. And I don't mean broken in a negative way, but I mean that pride being broken, that fear being broken, that doubt being broken in you. And there's breakthrough. Then the light shines and the community sees what God can do when a church says, break us from our fear, break us from our doubt, break us from our pride. When a leadership of a church does that, when the attenders of a church, when the owners of a church do that and we become the generous people God wants us to be, the world sees the light shine. They don't see us. They don't talk about the bridge. They talk about Jesus. They talk about Jesus. So if you just bow your head. And can I just ask you straight up, 
Is there something that needs to be broken in you? Is there something that needs to be broken in you so that, you know, you might be able to worship in singing and you might be able to worship with your hands lifted and you might be able to worship because you volunteer and that's an act of worship. Yes, it is absolutely an act of worship. But in your giving, in your financial giving, you've been living in fear. You've been living in doubt. I don't know if God can take care of me. I mean, I know what he said, but I'm just scared. I'm just scared. Just say, God, break that in me. Break that in me and help me to give like you did. God, I, you're my model. For God so loved the world that he gave. And God, I so love you that I'm going to give back the tiny portion of all that you've poured into my life. I'm going to become consistent. I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to start next Sunday in the offering fit for a king, and I'm going to trust and obey. I'm not going to do the math. I'm going to pray for you to put an amount on my heart, and I'm going to give it and just see what you do in my life. Thank you, Father, for your word. If there's someone here today, Lord, who doesn't know you, if there's someone here in the service today who has never received you as their personal Lord and Savior, then before they give you money, before they give you talent, before they give you time, they need to give you themselves. Are you here today and you would say, I've not even given God my heart, much less my my finances or my talent or any of my time. I, I haven't even given him me. So just say to him right now, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my life. Lord, take my life. Take my life. You gave your life for me on the cross. You rose from the dead. Lord, I am lost. I am a sinner. I need you. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. Take up residence inside of me. I don't know how to walk this out yet. I don't know all the scriptures. I don't know a lot of things, but I know this. I want to give you the rest of my life. Lord, receive me. Adopt me. Adopt me as your child. I make myself available, Lord. I surrender all. Take my life. Save my soul. I want to be born again. Thank you, Lord. I believe that's happening right now in this building. In Jesus' name, and everybody said...